theyeshiva.net. Good morning, everybody. So we're up to Perik Bays in the Maimer. Lakute Torah, Parshas Bahar, Kisavayu Ela Aretz Vashafsa. We finished yesterday chapter one. At least we learned chapter one from one perspective, and now we're ready for chapter two, which is Perik Bays. Chapter one focused on Pischili Achoisi to create the openings in our lives to allow ourselves to experience, to some degree, the essential relationship that every single one of us has with divine infinity. And to remove, to recognize the blockages, and to have the courage and the discipline and the consistency and the resilience to pierce through those blockages, to create a hole, a crack, in order to allow the light to come in. Now we go to chapter 2, Pedic Bays. Pedic Bays, I have to say, is a whole different topic, and it's really a universe. Chapter 2 of this Mimer is, is, is a ganze Welt, as they would say in Yiddish. Ubir inyan rayasi. If you uh, didn't open the source sheets yet, please open your source sheets on theyeshiva.net. This class Friday, you could see the source sheets above the video and below the video. Below the video, you download them. Above the video, you view them on your screen. So this is chapter two, and it would be in on the page, page 79. 79, which is the second page, Mem, column one all the way on the bottom of column one. You see a few lines before the bottom. So, let's begin. Says the Alter Rebbe, The explanation of this Inyin is, the explanation, And now, after the Pasuk says, The Pasuk continues, Rayasi. says, the explanation of the concept of Rayosi. Literally, we translate Rayosi as either my wife, my friend, like Reya, the Haftal Reyacha, or sometimes Rayosi, my shepherd. So he says, while Derech Masham Razal, it's similar to what Chazal say. This is in Zoyar, Yisrael, Mefarnesim, Lavim, Shabashamayim. Yisrael, the Jewish people, give Parnosa. They give sustenance, as it were, to their Father in Heaven. In other words, the Baal Hatanya is translating Rayosi here as, God says, you're my sister, and you're also my shepherd. A shepherd shepherds the flock. A shepherd sustains the flock, irrigates them, makes sure they have the posture, the food that they need. Kivayachal, just like a shepherd takes care of the flock, Say our sages, Yisrael Mepharnesim, we're like shepherds to our Father in Heaven. What does this mean? If the Pasuk says in Shmuel Beis, Samuel 2, chapter 14, Nobody will be forever out, an outcast. Nobody will be Nidach. Nidach means forlorn, outcast, lost forever. Mimenu daika. The passage says, that ultimately every soul, every spark 
will come back, will return to its source. There's no exception. Mimenu, from him, nobody will be lost forever. Ultimately, every soul will come back to be to be absorbed in the body of the king, in the essence of the king. Lishtava begufa de Malka is a very interesting expression in Zohar, Zohar, section 1, page, two, uh, page 217, where the Zohar discusses the idea that the ultimate goal of the soul is Lishtava. Lishtava means to be absorbed, to be drawn in, like Simchas Beis HaShayev, Sha'af Demayim Besasen, you draw. Lishtava means to be drawn and absorbed in the body of the king like food. Just like when we eat food, as we'll soon see. We absorb the food. We digest the food and the food becomes literally part of us. It's not a cliche when we say, you are what you eat. So every soul says desire ultimately is going to come back, Lishtava, to become part of government, become, so to speak, like the food of God. So we feed him, we become his food, we sustain him, just like the shepherd feeds the flock. And that food becomes part of the flock, it becomes their muzzling. Each soul ultimately becomes absorbed and subsumed in divine oneness, like food within the flock. So we become, so to speak, his shepherd. That's Rayasi, Yisrael, Mepharnesim, Laviyam, Shabbashamayim. But what does this mean? So God calls, first of all, he says, you're my sister. We are forever internally, innately, intrinsically connected. Peace, chili, but you have to open up. You have to create the opening to be able to experience it. And now there's something else. Rayasi, you're my shepherd. We're not just a brother and a sister that are two separate siblings. Two separate people, but knotted together. In other words, the knot connects them. Rayasi is, you and I actually become one and the same. Like the food inside of me. You sustain me. Leishtava begufa demalk. But to understand this, how is it possible that a neshama should reach a state of le'ishtava? Le'ishtava means that it becomes completely absorbed in Hashem, that there's no separate I. True. The neshama is, is a, we said that the neshama originates in the divine. But ultimately, as we learned before, neshama shenasat to be tahirihi. But as we said this morning, ata barasa. The neshama becomes a nivra, becomes a created being, something that you can call a yesh, somethingness. That's why we call it a soul. We don't call it God, we call it a soul. So nonetheless, it has some entity, some identity. Some sense of I. And here we're saying, every soul ultimately is Rayasi, Lishtava, Begufa, Demalka. How? On this it says in Zoyar, Tlas Kishin, this is Zoyar, Bahaloischa. Tlas Kishin, Miskashin, Kechada, Iraisa, Bekutshabrichu, Vyisrael, Bairaisa. Zoyar tells us that there are three things that interconnect with each other and become one. The Torah is linked to Hashem. The Jewish people are linked to the Torah. And from this Zoya comes the famous expression, Yisrael, Eraisa, Vekutshebrichu, Kulachat. The Jew, Yisrael, Torah, Eraisa, and Hashem become one. Since the level of Torah 
We now go to the second column. You see Mem, column two, or page 79, column two. Because the level of Teda transcends, it's higher than the level of the souls of the Jewish people. Mimikar from from the source where they were honed, they were chiseled out. As the Zoyar says, full of quotes here from Zoyar, that Torah comes from Hashem's Chachma. So therefore, the Jewish people connect to Hashem through Torah. Because the Torah is divine wisdom, as he will explain. Torah is Hashem's wisdom. And through the Torah, the soul could become the food that, so to speak, sustains and is absorbed in Hashem. So even though the soul on its own, he says, is a yesh, it becomes a metzias, but through Torah, which is one with Hashem, the soul becomes completely one with God to the point that there is no differentiation. This is why the Gemara says in Psach, Dafnun, Ashrei Misha Balakan Fortunate is the person who comes here comes here to the world of truth, to Gan Eden, and his learning is in his hand, because through the Torah, the Neshama could become completely absorbed, in the very body and essence of the king. But this itself has to be understood. What's the problem? I don't understand. Al-Tadeb's questions. The Torah itself is also enclosed in very physical, mundane matters. Any aspect, any suga of Torah that you're learning, Primarily, it's dealing with material realities. If you're learning about tzitzis, you're learning about wool of a sheep and how to develop it, how to weave it into the strands, the stringes we call tzitzis. And if you're learning about tfilchis tfilin, it's about the height of an animal, an animal, and developing it into the parchment, into tfilin. You either you're dealing with ink or with parchment or with shaping letters, etc. Sukkah. If you ever learn mesechta sukkah or hilchis sukkah. You're dealing with two by fours and six by eights and planks of wood and green and, and, uh, and uh, the schach that you need to cover the sukkah and the amount of walls. The Kamadine Mominus, if you're learning all of the tractates or all of the halachas that deal with monetary issues. So you're dealing with very physical, mundane matters and then vitainus and complaints, litigations, civil litigations. I claim this, and you claim this. There's a plaintiff, there's a defendant. Alderich Marshall, for example, Reuven Toyen Kach, Veshimen Kach. Reuven maintains this claim, Shimon maintains this claim. This is much of Baba Kama, Baba Metzia, Baba Basra, Dinei Mominus, Chayshin Mishpat. We have to figure out who's lying, who's saying the truth. I claim that you borrowed money from you. You say I'm lying, I didn't borrow anything. Whatever the situation is, my gore my bull gored your your bull, how much do I have to pay? So now these are important halachas. But the question is, he asks, Fascinating words. What do these halachas mean? What is their theme? In Ganeidin Ha'elyon, in the higher level of paradise, and in the lower level of the Garden of Eden. It's true, it's true. You're saying that the neshama could become one with Hashem through Torah. Because Torah is divine. But look at the Torah. The Torah that the surface, the Torah that we're learning, may come from Hashem's wisdom, may come from heaven. But ultimately, you're learning about physical realities. You're learning about technicalities. 
You're learning about things a person could learn Torah for many, many years and not sense or experience divinity in it, godliness in it. On the contrary, you're dealing with interesting cases or scenarios, some of them very practical, some of them very theoretical. You're dealing with a lot of civil law and civil strife and litigation and all of those issues. And even when you're talking about mitzvahs like sukkah and tefillin, you're again, you're dealing with very technical, nitty-gritty nuances and details as anybody who learns halacha is familiar with. You're learning Hilchus Erevin, so now you have to figure out how the alleys work and how the courtyards work and the entrances and the beams you have to put up and the, the vertical beams and the horizontal beams. Whatever it may be. And if you're learning Mesech Yuma, you're learning Kachim, so now you're learning about how you have to slaughter an animal. And what do you do with the blood? And where you sprinkle the blood? And how you prepare the meat? And where it has to be eaten? And when it has to be eaten? Every single part of Torah is, every mitzvah, almost every mitzvah, is dealing with physical things. So the Alter Rebbe wants to know, What is the theme of all of this in Ganeiden? How do they learn it? How do they explore it in Ganeiden? Which will explain how through Torah the soul becomes one with God. <speaking in Hebrew> to understand this, the Pasuk says in Mishlei, Perik Tes, Proverbs 9, Rebbeinu Shalom says, Eat your bread with my bread. I want you to break bread with me. I want you to eat your bread with my bread. What does this mean? Just as when you're dealing with physical bread, which is the physical sustenance through which the person can live corporally, through which my body can exist, I must have the food and nutrients in order to be able to live. So you can't have the bread sitting on the table. It has to be absorbed in a person's limbs. The food has to be digested and it's converted into the bloodstream to be able to give me all the nutrients I need, all the oxygen I need to be able to continue my life, my physical life. The same is true with Torah. Torah is also defined as food and a life a source of life for the spiritual soul. The Torah, just like the food, needs to become absorbed in the limbs of the soul to literally become part of your flesh. And only then can the soul return to Hashem to become absorbed in the very body of the king, to become literally part of the gufa, the malka, just like food. In other words, what makes mazayin mazayin? What makes lechem lechem? What gives it its power? Not when the nutrients remain on the windowsill or in the refrigerator or in the pantry. I have to eat it. And eating it is not enough. I have to eat it to the point where I digest it to the point it's now redefined. It's completely morphed in. It's now converted into my bloodstream. It literally becomes part of me. It becomes part of my blood, becomes part of my flesh. It used to be food, now it's me. He says the same is true. God says, I want you to eat your bread with my bread. In other words, my bread has to become your bread 
because the Torah, which is a metaphor, bread is a metaphor for Torah, needs to become yours. It becomes completely yours. Once it becomes completely one with you, now, now, this soul can become completely one with God. As the Pasuk says in Shashirim, Achalti Yari Imdivshi, which is a metaphor of God speaking about the Jewish soul. I ate my honeycombs with my honey. God says, I ate them. <laughs> I ate them. In other words, just like when you eat something, they're completely part of me. That's why he says in Proverbs 9, eat your bread with my bread. First, it's your bread. First, the Torah needs to become your bread. What does it mean, your bread? Just like bread becomes part of your bloodstream, the Torah needs to become part of you. Lachmu. And then you're going to become my bread. Then I will break bread with your bread. The Torah became your bread, and it became part of you, Lachmu. Now you ate your bread with my bread. The Torah became you. Now you're going to be able to be my bread. In other words, you're going to become me. What does all of this mean? What does this mean? Explain, this is all the introduction, explains the Alter Rebbe. If you go through the second, the seventh chapter of Shabbos, he goes through the 39 prototypes of labor that are forbidden on Shabbos. So the Gemara says in Shabbos, that the list of the first labors that are enumerated in the, th- the list of 39 labors are all the system, the order of preparing bread. What are the first malachas? You remember the list of the 39 labors that are prohibited on Shabbos? So it starts off, Hazireya, planting, plowing, harvesting. What's after that? You have, of course, what's the system? You have to plow your field. Then you have to plant. Now you have to harvest. Then there is making bundles called sheaves. This is called ma'ameh. But this is not getting you anywhere. You have to now thresh. They used to have the animals. Today they do it often with machines. But the animals would come, the bulls would come, or the cows would come, and they would trample, they would step, they would thresh the grain, and this would open up the chaff and release the kernels, the seeds. But that's still not enough because the seeds are filled with chaff. So then you have zoire. You got to winnow it. You remember? You throw it up into the wind and the lighter part gets separated from the heavier part. So the kernels, the fall right back. And now they're clean. They're independent, but they're still mixed with earth and dirt and pebbles and rocks. So now you need to select. You need to, you need to do boirer. You have to separate. The good from the bad, you gotta get rid of the filth and the dirt and the pebbles and the, the, the earth and the gravel and the debris. Now you have a kernel. But what are you gonna do now? <laughs> what are you gonna do now? Now you have to grind it. You have to grind it and now you have flour. But what do you do with flour? You can't eat raw flour. Ooh, now you have to mix the flour with water and you have to knead. But I forgot, after you have the flour, you still have to sift the flour, merakeid. 
You got to sift the flour. So this toichein, you grind the kernel into flour, and now you have to sift the flour through a sieve, through a sifter, to clean it up, to make sure it's refined. Now you take the particles of flour, you mix them with water, and lush, you knead the flour, and you have a wonderful dough. But you're not eating dough. What do you do now? Yes. You bake the dough. Oifa. You bake the dough. And now you have challah, you have bread, you have mazoinus, and now you can eat. If the doctor lets you eat carbs. But in those days, food was such a luxury. Food was such a luxury. So you ate bread. You ate bread. Because the question wasn't so much what you're going to eat. The real question is always how much you're going to eat of it, right? You with me, Chavra? You with me? Yeah? This is called Sidura de Pas. The system of making bread. The system of making bread, that's what's going on here. So we went through, we went through the first Malachas. You planted, you plowed, you planted. The Gemara discusses why the Mishnah says first, first planted, then plowed, because there was a plowing after the plant. And then you harvested, you made bundles and sheaves, you threshed, you winnowed, you selected and separated, you grinded, you sifted, you kneaded, and you baked. Called Sidura the Pass. Then he goes on to other malachas. There's shearing the wool, there's bleaching the wool, there's whitening the wool, there's dyeing, there is, of course, uh, weaving, etc. And he goes through all the other malachas till he finishes. Comes Dal Tereb and says, Kikadei lasis lech. Because in order to make bread, that it should be edible to eat until the point it can be absorbed in your limbs and become literally part of your bloodstream, part of your flesh, mamish, you need first to plant. You need a grind. You need a knead and you need a bake. He mentions here four things because these four things are the general categories that include all of the first 11 malachas that deal with making bread. The first thing is you have to plant. You need the seeds. And then from plant, you have to plow. And then from planting, you can harvest. And once you harvest, you make bundles so it should be organized and categorized and piles. And of course, you have to sift it and you have to winnow it because you have to get out the chaff. You have to get out the seed. But now it's not enough. Now you have to grind it into flour. Okay, you grind it into flour, beautiful. But now you have to knead it. Great, you kneaded it. Now you have to bake it. So there's four things. There's plowing, there's planting, sowing. There's grinding, there's kneading, and there's baking. To understand these four stages. In Avaydas Hashem. These four steps. Which steps? Planting, grinding, kneading, and baking. Which are the prerequisites that allow this food, this bread, this grain, or this barley, or this spelt, or oats, or rye, 
to become part of your body, to be able to sustain you and give you the nutrients you need, and literally be transformed and converted into your very being, these four steps mirror four steps in Avodah Hashem. To understand this, we have to explain well and in detail how planting works in the physical realm. And then we'll be able to go to these four steps in the spiritual realm. And now the Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe, goes, goes out on a limb, so to speak, and begins elaborating about the nature of agriculture. And he begins... Let me, let me give a little intro. A little intro to the next piece. The next piece is long, fascinating, especially how it's reflected in the spiritual realms of life and of Yiddishkeit. He's going to be discussing now three components that agriculture always have to deal with in order to create produce. The first is, you have the earth, you have the soil. The soil has what we call it has a vegetative power. On the third day of creation, the Rebbeinu Shalom says, Let earth produce desha, which is vegetation. Let it produce trees. And each thing that is vegetative, has a veg- has, that it grows and is produced, whether it's a legume, whether it's grain, whether it's a vegetable, whether it's a fruit, whatever it's a flower, whether it's a flower also has within it the mechanism for procreation. To reproduce a new generation of produce. So every fruit has a seed. And that seed has within it the capacity that when planted once again, it can create a new tree. The same is true with grain, the same is true with vegetables. You have within it, it comes with the seeds, and the seeds have within them the capacity to be able to create a new generation. So the apple has the apple seed, and the orange has the orange seeds, and the watermelon has watermelon seeds, and the peach has the seeds of the peach. Very hard to access. And it's fascinating, Beratius emphasizes that this was part of the creation. Zaroi boy, eats pre isaprilaminoi. He created the seeds, in other words, gave the capacity to create offspring. And what's fascinating when you study botany, it's, I'm always fascinated by it, is how every single plant, every single flower, every single dandelion, and fruit and legume comes with a unique package and a perfect system of how that seed is going to manage to make it back, to be redeposited in the earth, to create a new generation. Sometimes, the produce itself, the plant itself, is given wings that allows the seed to fly away, to be carried away by the wind. Sometimes, the mechanism of nature is it's carried away by the water, but it will find a place to be redeposited so that it could continue creating new generations. There are those seeds that you have no access to. For example, if you take a peach, right? Inside the peach, you have the, the pit. You can't break it. <laughs> it's almost impossible. Very, very hard to break. <laughs> try, try. <laughs> it's more, it's stronger than your teeth. It's stronger than your knife. Try breaking the pit of the peach. But in that pit are deposited the seeds of the pitch, of the peach. 
and something happens. You finish the peach, and naturally in history, what would happen with the pit? It would be thrown into the earth. Earth has the ability to unravel the pit. In the earth, that pit of the peach opens up and the seeds come out. And every single fruit has this unique mechanism. It's amazing to make sure that the seeds will not be disposed and disappear, but they'll be able to make it back in the earth and be recreated. So Al-Tarebbe is now going to address three components. First is the earth, which is basically the mother that absorbs it all and has that extraordinary capacity in nature to be able to produce. Of course, you have the seed, which always has to be put in the earth in order to create the produce. And then you have the result, which is what we would call the fruit or the grain or the legume or the vegetable. So you have the earth, you have the seed that goes into the earth, and then you have the fruit. And you can't compare. Each one has its unique role and contribution to make in the miracle of vegetation and produce. On one hand, the seed, if you look at it externally, it looks like there's nothing there. It's just a seed. It's emaciated. It's it's tasteless. It's colorless. It's odorless. Yeah, it's not edible. It's a piece of garbage. But it has the genetic code. It has the secret of reproduction. The fruit, oh, that's the product. The fruit is delicious. The fruit has vitamins. The fruit looks wonderful. The fruit has a smell. The fruit has a delicious taste, a great combination of tartiness and sweetness, a little juice, it shouldn't be too dry, not too much juice, so it doesn't get so soggy. The fruit. Then you have the earth. Taira, we're going to talk about three things in Taira. We're going to talk about the source of Taira, the source of Taira, which is basically the divine mind, the divine infinite mind, that's going to be reflected in the earth, in Mother Earth, which has the vegetative power to produce. And the earth can have anything grow in it. Anything. But depends on what seed you put into this part of the earth. That's the result you're going to get. I'm going to plant barley, I'm going to get barley, not wheat. I'm going to plant spelt, I'll get spelt. I'm going to plant a kiwi, an orange, I'm not going to get a watermelon or a cantaloupe. I'm going to plant a pineapple, I'm going to get a pineapple, not an apple tree. If I would have planted an apple, I could have gotten an apple tree here. Obviously, sometimes you need different climates, different conditions, different circumstances, but the earth doesn't discriminate. So we're going to speak about that aspect of Torah. It's a reflection, it's a result, it's God's mind. It's God's thought process. Pure infinity. We're going to speak about the seed of Torah. The aspect of Torah that's like a seed, literally like the seed of an apple, or the seed of a watermelon, or the seed of a cantaloupe, or the seed of any fruit, or any plant, anything that grows. That's going to be the aspect of Torah that we have here in our world. The way the Torah assumed a physical incarnation. The Torah that we learn. The Tanakh, the Mishnah, the Gemara, the Shulchan Aruch, the Alocha, the Rishonim, the Chirayim, the Chalzer Tshuvah, the entire, entire scope and body of Torah Shabal and Torah Shabal. And then we're going to talk about the fruit, which comes about from the Shidduch, from the matchmaking between the seed and the earth. And that's going to be the Torah that's experienced and learned in the higher worlds, including in Gan Eden. 
the lower Ganeidim, the higher Ganeidim, because souls, after they pass away, some of them are thousands of years in Ganeidim, what do they do there? There's no WhatsApp. What do they do in Ganeidim, thousands of years? The others, Moshe Rabbein, the answer is they're learning, they're learning Torah. They're learning Torah. Some people couldn't sit in yeshiva for five minutes. What are they doing in Ganeidim? But the pshat is, the Torah in Ganeidin, you have to know what the Torah in Ganeidin is like. That's going to be like the fruit. So I'm giving you now a general introduction to a very intricate piece now on the Kodah Torah that people could learn but not realize the details, the richness of it, both the richness in terms of the theme and the richness in terms of the particles, the particles and the waves. So now let's see inside, Okay. And since I want to uh, give you the, the full subject, I'm going to read pretty fast. But hopefully now you'll be able to understand the connections and the themes. Begins the Altarab. Al-Derech Mashal. Now listen, because he's going to give a long metaphor now. He's going to speak a lot about planting. If you're a farmer, you'll appreciate it. If you're not a farmer, consider it. Consider it. Those of us who grew up in Brooklyn, for years we never saw a farm. I remember I was teaching in Yeshiva Masech Tepsachim, we were learning about wheat, and I asked one of the chevra, bring the guys stalks of wheat, they should see what wheat looks like. We go into the store, we buy challah, we buy bread, you buy a danish, you buy a cookie, who knows what people did in order to get to this point. We don't appreciate it anymore. And it deprives us. You can't learn Hilcha Shabbos if you don't see what planting looks like, and grinding looks like, and kneading looks like, and harvesting, and winnowing, and threshing... It's, it's like, it's like an abstract reality. But certainly in the days of the Balatanya, and even today in many parts of the world, this was daily life. This was life. You didn't get your challah without plowing and planting and harvesting and sheen and baking bundles and threshing and winnowing and selecting and grinding and kneading and baking. So he's going to get very detailed into the metaphor. Listen to every word of the Alter Rebbe. Alderich Moshul, the metaphor, the metaphor for this is, one plants the seed of wheat, a wheat stalk. One plants the seed of a fruit, Be'eretz. It's planted, it's deposited in the earth. That's not enough. You have to cover the seed with the earth. You have to bury it. Not enough. The seed must decompose. If the seed remains intact, no produce, no vegetation, the seed must be nirkov. Nirkov means severed fafoyot. It becomes decomposed. When nifsed, it gets ruined. And the vegetative power in the earth, in the soil, matzmiach, now produces chita, either stalks of wheat, or fruit tree, which reflects the seed that was sowed or planted in the earth. You planted wheat, and the earth now produces stalks of wheat. You planted barley, you have barley. You planted a fruit, and the earth produces the fruit that reflects that seed, the fruit that comes from that seed, which gives birth to that seed. This seed that you planted in the earth, you didn't buy in the store. 
it also came from the earth. Remember, every fruit comes with a seed. So this seed was Nishava, it emerged from the Koyach HaTzemeyach, from the vegetative power in earth. And if you knew what this seed has in a concealed way, if we had microscopic eyes, if we put this seed under a microscope, remember this is 1800. There's no microscopes yet. <laughs> and nobody knows about DNA. Nobody knows about G- the genetic codes. But the Rebbe is going to say, it's not, the seed is not a piece of garbage. The seed has in it everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll go back. I'll go back. Yeah, the line starts, Ba'aretz. I, I skipped, yeah. So the earth will produce wheat or a fruit similar to the seed that you planted. Because since the vegetative power in earth is a koyach klali, which means it's a collective general koyach, it can grow many things. It's not hung up on producing apples or oranges. It could produce apples, it could produce papayas, it could produce mangoes, it could produce kiwis, or it could produce cherries or grapes. It's a koyach klali. So zoyrina garina hu. So you have to plant a specific seed to, so to speak, give the earth the information, give the earth the code, the manual, the blueprint, what we want, what we need here. This is a process that's similar to the process in Kabbalah, known Ha'alas Mayin Nukvin, which means the ascent or the arousal created by the feminine waters to trigger mask the masculine relationship. It's called Ha'alas Mayin Nukvin. It's an expression in Zoyar and Kabbalah. The feminine waters, man is mine, the feminine waters ascend. They trigger, they create a, an arousal, an inspiration. So he says the seed is like it reaches out. It triggers, it inspires the earth to be able to produce the specific plant or the specific grain or the specific legume, the specific fruit, which reflects the seed. Vahainu. How does the seed trigger it? The seed itself, of course, also came from the vegetative power of the earth. And this seed has within it, in a concealed, embedded fashion, it has the capacity to produce the whole fruit, but it's concealed. It became materialized. It looks like just a physical, plain seed. It was diminished from its original essence. What is it? It's really a production from the capacity of growth in the earth. And you have it still concealed in the seed. But now it just looks like a regular seed. It doesn't have much to it. But it has a connection to the spiritual vegetative power. In other words... This is the capacity that God put into the earth to give it a kayach to give it a power to produce, which is something incredible. You know, we don't think about this. I was, I came home one night, very late at night, very late, and I was quite hungry, and there was a peach on the counter. 
So I took the peach. And I guess because I was so tired, so uh, I could actually think. You know, sometimes when you're so tired, your defenses are down, so you can actually think. So I started to make the bracha. Now we all make that bracha many times. But suddenly I had like this, this epiphany. You know, how did the earth know? A seed was planted in the earth. A seed was planted in the earth. And the earth takes this seed and with water and sunlight and ear produces a peach with the exact color that makes it appealing, with a flavor that makes it tasty, with a feeling, with the touching that makes it geschmack to touch, a beautiful look, a beautiful color. And suddenly my body could be revitalized and replenished and get a little energy from it. And the earth does this with hundreds and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of diverse forms of vegetation and produce and growth and plants and flowers, everything that grows, all based the seed. So, as he's going he's to explain more, it, it, it becomes physical, but it's essentially a spiritual divine power in the Eretz. The gar in the seed comes from that Kayach HaTzemeich. The Kayach HaTzemeich produced it. But the seed on its own is not producing anything. The seed came from the Kayach HaTzemech. It has within it the power to produce, but it's concealed because now it looks just like a seed. And you may not even know. Somebody who's not skilled looks at it. You don't even see anything special about it. In fact, it seems much inferior to the food itself. What are you going to do with a watermelon seed? You're going to have it for breakfast? You throw it out. Nonetheless, it really comes from the Kayach HaTzemech. L'fichach, k'shenir k'venivsed gufakarin. When you redeposit the seed into the earth and it gets decomposed and it becomes part of the earth, so the vegetative power that is manifested in the seed, which came from the vegetative power, now is reconnected. It becomes aligned and subsumed and nullified in the general vegetative power that's in the earth. So we can trigger it to the point that matzmiach ke'ein hagarin betoisvus merubaleiker. So now the earth will produce something, a tree or a plant that reflects that seed, but much, much more than what you put in. You put in one seed, but what you get from it is an abundance of grain or fruits. You deposited an apple tree, that's what it's going to grow. You deposited the seed of a grape, you're going to get a vine. And similarly, even though when you're looking at that seed, you cannot see or feel any taste, any flavor, any smell. It's It's like the bark of a tree. It's not edible. It's tasteless. It's colorless. It's odorless. Go eat a seed. Somebody who doesn't know what it is, you look at it, it looks like a junk. It's like a shtickleitz. It's like a little piece of wood, like a little piece of dirt. It's nothing. We don't take seed seriously if you don't know what it is. That's at the surface. But the seed 
retains at least the essence of the fruit. It has the essence. I know in a conspicuous and visible way, there's nothing to write home about. It doesn't taste delicious. It doesn't have a beautiful color. It looks like a dead, lifeless, numb seed. But really, it has the mohu sapri. It has the essence of the fruit. You may call it the soul of the fruit, the genetic code of the fruit, the DNA of the fruit. And within its potential, within its essence, is embedded and concealed everything that's going to come. All the properties of the fruit, all the flavors, all the colors, all the smells. But it's condensed. In the seed, to the point that you don't feel or see any flavor, any smell. You don't feel it, you don't taste it, you don't see it, you don't experience it. And if you eat it, it's not going to be delightful. It's not like the apple or the grape or the cherry or the peach or the plum or the tangerine. Completely not. It seems dead. It's tasteless. But he says it has everything in it. In its koyach, in its DNA, it has concealed everything. Walter Rebbe said this in 1800. All the flavors, all the colors, there's nothing that's going to be in the fruit that's not in the seed. Nothing. There's not a single nuance, property, pleasure, dimension of the fruit that's not there in the seed. Yes, you don't see it, you don't feel it, you don't taste it, but it's all there. It's all embedded. In fact, if it wouldn't be in the seed, it couldn't be in the fruit. Because the seed is the blueprint. It's the manual. It's the code. It's the genetic progenitor of every single fruit that emerges from it with every single aspect of that fruit. Ulezois, therefore, so now, when you become a matchmaker, and you create a shidduch, you match the seed to the earth, what happens is, this seed, which has within it the whole Fruit in potentiality can bring forth from the vegetative power in earth that it should produce the fruits of this seed with all of the aspects, the flavors and the smell and the look. And he's saying these three things because when you have a fruit, it's a combination of all of this. Not just it tastes good, it also looks good. It's a celebratory look. The, 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 what the Altarebbe means here, and it's amazing, every, every fruit is green. But when it ripens, it changes colors. And it's always an attractive color, an appealing color. Why does it change colors? It's almost inviting you and saying, Come! Machabrucha! Eat me! Enjoy me! Come! I'm here to become part of you, my dear Tayyid Ayid. Say, Baruch HaTashem Lehen Malachal and and take me in. I'm changing colors. This is one of the fascinating things of nature. The fruit knows and the seed tells it. 
It's time to change colors to tell the world that you're right. Whether it's telling the animals, whether it's telling the people. It also protects us that we know to distinguish between when it's ripe and unripe because when it's unripe, it may be not unhealthy to eat. But now it changed colors. And you know when it changes colors and it becomes ripe, it loosens its grip. It's telling us that it's time to take it. How does it know to loosen its grip? Because it's created in order to be able to sustain the world, to sustain life on planet. Haflavafela. <laughs> I was telling somebody, somebody was telling me, you know, the whole world is just a random mutation. It's a mistake. Blind evolutionary Darwin, Darwin, Darwinism survival. I said, it's so interesting how kind and benevolent this blind evolution is that they told the fruits, you got to loosen your grip so that Rabbi YY or anybody else can just take you off easily and eat you. Not just do they do it in order to survive, but they're also very kind to us. And they also change colors so that we should be able to eat them and enjoy them. You see the planning. You see the intricate connections here. So what happens now, so the Alter Rebbe says, it's not just the taste. It's not just the taste. It's the taste. It's the smell. It's the look. It's everything together. And it's without a Hester and Simpson. Now you have a fruit. You see it. In the seed, you had everything, but you didn't see it. Now, what happens if you would plant a fruit? Somebody will say, I'll be a Chacham. Why should I plant this lifeless, numb, ugly, tasteless, odorless, colorless, inedible seed? Plant the fruit. Take a good geschmack, a piece of watermelon and plant it. What's going to happen? <laughs> Garnished, bupkis. Because the fruit doesn't have the DNA. The fruit doesn't have the mohus. The seed has it. But the seed has it in an invisible fashion. You take the seed. From the seed itself, nothing is going to happen. You take the seed. You deposit it in the earth, which has the spiritual koyach now the seed, which has the power of the fruit and also has the spiritual concealed, it channels, it harnesses, it triggers, it arouses the earth to be able to produce this exact replica, this exact type of fruit that is embedded in the seed. This is the metaphor. Let's now go to the nimshal. Any questions? Did Dalter Rebbe say what before the science? I don't know, I don't have the, the knowledge or the authority to uh, know exactly how botany and agriculture was perceived in 1810 to study all the variations. It would be an interesting study. How it was exactly perceived then, how it's perceived today. Obviously today, today, you know, we, we, we have tools to be able to appreciate much more of the dazzling, dazzling brilliance in the scientific in the science, in, in, in the science of botany, I mean, it's, it's just, uh, uh, I once read in, uh, in, in one of the works of Rabbi Avigdor Miller, Zechreiner Levracha, he wrote that if our planet had only one leaf of one tree, it would, it would, it would already be indisputable proof that there's a creator. The amount of precision, the amount of precision, accuracy, Symmetry, engineering, design, purposefulness in one leaf is already an indisputable proof that there is an intelligent designer. <laughs> one leaf. 
I'm not talking about a fruit. I'm not talking about a tree. I'm not talking about a galaxy. I'm not talking about a human body with 80 trillion cells. I'm talking about one leaf. Jacob, yeah. Don't speak at once, one at a time. Generally speaking, listen, if somebody, you know, if somebody wants to argue, they can argue. But generally speaking, when you see, first of all, why is the seed interested in replicating itself? Why? So you'll say, it's the laws of nature. Why is there such a law of nature that I have to replicate myself? I'm a seed. It's almost like I have a dream. I want to live on for eternity. I want to propagate. I want to have a do yusharim yevayrich bunim ubnei bunim oiskim in botany and produce that the peach shall live on for eternity. We take it for granted. Survival of the fittest. I really have this, this dream. Really? Where did this dream exactly come? Where did this dream come from? Is there consciousness? There's no consciousness. So it's all blind. There's no consciousness from anybody because everything is blind. So it's just this weird, not just weird, like this fantastic law that every single thing on the planet, everything, every creature, every living organism has this inherent dream and it will go on a serious nefesh for this dream. That itself, that itself is a law that's rational, that's purposeful, that's meaningful, and that you see that everyone is guided by that law. <laughs> so somehow this... I think that gives almost a religious belief. Exactly. So it, 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 it's, it's a blind faith to believe that such a powerful law that's been going on for 15.3 billion years and is guiding all of nature... And it's a law that's embedded in the entire planet. And it was already the Big Bang knew about it because it was guided and fine-tuned towards it. And it's all meaningless. It's all random. It's all by mistake. Okay. I mean, somebody can argue with this. I don't see, I don't see the, the brilliant logic here. I told somebody the other day, an atheist came to see me and I said, listen, you know, I don't have enough blind faith to be an atheist. Sorry. <laughs> You you choose to have such blind faith? Fine, I'm not going to judge you. But I don't have enough blind faith. Besides what I just said, whenever you have millions and billions and trillions of distinct details coming together, being synchronized in absolute precision and accuracy, in the most fantastical ways and statistically completely, completely unlikely. And it's happening constantly in billions and trillions and zillions and sectillions, different parts and all coming together with perfect symmetry. I mean, yeah, you could say it was just this incredible mazel, but I think it takes much more faith to believe that it's all random, I think it's blind faith, than to actually look at it and say, there's a consciousness here. (laughs) There's a presence here. There is a mind here. There's an infinite mind here. So now, once we learn the mushal, once we learn the metaphor, we'll go, I think, for another 15 minutes, one five minutes. Once we learn the metaphor, let's go to the nimshal. Okay? Now here you have to tune into the nimshal. Every detail that he just spoke about in the mushal, every detail, and there was a lot, is going to be reflected and mirrored 
in the message, in the nimshal, in the metaphor that he wants to bring out. This entire metaphor, in all of its details, I don't just mean the general metaphor, all the details, the whole marshal b'pratiyas, is boin and amaskal b'avodas Hashem the perceptive person should meditate about this when you're thinking about Avaidas Hashem serving Hashem and the Torah. And here he goes. What is Torah? Torah, the whole Torah and every aspect of Torah is Hashem's wisdom and it's Hashem's will. The Rambam and Hilchis Yisraeliya Torah Pedic Beis the Rambam in Hilchis Truva, the Rambam in Meir Nevuchim, has a famous expression, Hu He and his wisdom are one. Now, this is Rambam, so to speak, philosophy, the Rambam in Meir Nevuchim, or the Rambam in Haloch. But now we have a quote from the Zoyer, Chakim Al-Tarebbe was the great synthesizer between the mystical and rational streams of Judaism, into a unified, comprehensive program for life. So that's why he's always combining. The introduction to the Kunei Zayar says, some people say it's Shabbos before, Erev Shabbos before Mincha, Pasach Antu chakim You are wise, but not with known wisdom. Which means, God's wisdom, God's chachma can't be defined in the properties that we define our wisdom, which is also difficult to define, what wisdom is, what perception is, what consciousness is, what discernment is. By the way, talk about atheism. One of the great enigmas is how blind, blind evolution, which developed into matter, matter, at some point suddenly morphs into consciousness and self-awareness. Imagine you have this cup, it's an incredible feeder, you have a a, a, a piece of wood or whatever it is, and after billions and billions of years, suddenly one day, there's consciousness. I feel, I know, I experience. So even our chachma is not something that can be defined. And they'll tell you, nobody can understand what caused the cognitive revolution, how that leap happens. They call it the cognitive revolution. But this is even our wisdom, but still, we all know that there's logic, there's ideas, there's equations, there's understanding, there's discernment. Hashem's chachma is velabe chachma. It's not known chachma. So what is Torah? Torah is his wisdom, which is one with him, which means it's infinity. It's unknowable. I can't know God, as the famous expression in, in, in Jewish philosophy, Sefer Ikram, Rabbi Yosef Olbo, and Pchinas Olam. If I would know him, I would be him. Ilu yedai I can't know his wisdom either. However, here is what happens. As the Torah, the divine infinite wisdom, goes through many processes of condensement and evolution and filtery, filters from level to level, from step to step. The Torah descended lower and lower until the Torah assumes a physical incarnation. Suddenly the Torah is talking about 
harvesting your field, and if you forget some sheaves, you can't come back. Suddenly the Torah is talking about litigation, and suddenly it's talking about debates and disputes between partners, between borrowers and lenders, between wives and husbands, between damagers and the people who are damaged. The whole Torah, tzitzis, tefillin, sukkah, it assumes a physical incarnation. The Torah down here is like the seed of the plant, of the grain, or of the fruit. It's the garin, the, 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 the seed of zera. Zera are all plant seeds where the seed itself is eaten, or the pre, the fruit, where the seed itself is not eaten. The pre contains the fruit, the difference of zera and pre. Zera is the seeds that grow, and the seeds themselves are eaten or planted. And then you have the pre, which has in it a seed, but it's, the seed is not eaten. So this Torah, down here is like the seed, where did the seed come from? It came from the vegetative power of earth, which produced a fruit that had in it a seed, or produced seeds. This energy in the earth is called literally ayin. Ayin is translated as nothingness. We translate it as, as no thingness. No thingness. Ayin means it's beyond the tangible. It's beyond something that we could call something. Thing. That's yesh. Ayin is no thingness. Mimai mirtache. We did the earth get this capacity, this power. It got it from the divine utterance on the third day Hashem said, let the earth produce grass. What's tache? The hainu eish das. Ken kosov hashach b'shem harash. The shach, the sifsei koyin and chumash brings in the name of the rash that tache is eish das, the fire of religion, the fire of Torah. In other words, the earth is embedded with a divine spiritual energy, which we said tache. This is the divine DNA, the divine letters. You have the letters of DNA, but those letters are a reflection of the divine letters of Tatcha, that the earth itself has within it a spiritual divine power to create and pr- to produce. So as a result of this, as a result of this, the earth can blossom. Okay, so now you have Apri and The fruit that comes from the earth that grows from the earth, through depositing the seed into the earth, is like yesh me'ayin. Fascinating. The earth, relative to the fruit, is yesh me'ayin. How did it happen? You had fruit, you had earth, soil, you have a seed, you have sunlight, you have water, you have air, and the earth somehow knows how to combine all of these materials together, and boom, here's your apple. Here's your grape. Here's your peach. <laughs> it's called Yeshmeyayin. It's something, something that's tangible and delicious, but it comes from something we call no thingness. In other words, the process is so mystical. It's so stupendous. It's so wondrous because it begins with a spiritual energy that gives life to the earth and gives the commandment to the earth to produce these fruits. And now the fruit is like Yeshmeyayin. It's not just a physical fruit. The fruit has spiritual life. It's good to eat. It's wonderful to look at. It has a wonderful odor and smell. 
Mashaykim got in Hanizra, but the seed itself, the spiritual energy is so condensed that you don't see or feel any flavor, any smell. Nonetheless, it has in it embedded the essence. Now, the toid that was dressed up and assumes physical incarnations, the divine infinity is condensed and you don't see clearly, necessarily, in the toida that you're learning, anything beyond physical discussions and logical equations about physical matters that deal with all the halachas. The Torah that we learn is like the seed. Embedded in it is what? Everything. It, where does it come from? It comes from the ayin, from the kayach atzimech. Remember, the divine wisdom is absolutely infinite. But then it what? It descends and assumes physical incarnations. And it becomes like the seed. Where everything, all the flavors and all the tastes and all the colors and all the smells are embedded in the code. But what you're looking at, you're looking at a seed which seems very physical and very plain. You're learning a sugi in Gemara, you're learning a sugi in Shulchan Aruch, you're learning anything in Torah. It looks like it's just an interesting story or some law about wool or a law about building a sukkah or about civil damages or about monetary issues or about somebody hurting somebody else or about theft and all the details, all the halachas. It's fascinating, it's brilliant, it's intellectual. But do you see divine infinity here? The divine infinity descended and condensed and condensed, and it's all there in that seat. Now, let's see what's happening in Ganeid. There you have the fruits. In the higher paradise, which is the world of Bria, the world, the spirit, a higher spiritual world called Bria. Over there you have the revelation, the luminescence, the, the, the radiance of the divine faculties of Chachma Binadaz. They learn Torah in Ganeiden, but over there the light of Torah is clearly revealed. They're experiencing the pleasure of comprehending the divine mind, the divine thought. In other words, over there they see the full, not the full, they see a major element of the revelation of Torah as divine infinity, the way it can be grasped in the world of Riyah. Still, even the awareness in Gan Eden, is called Yesh Me'ayin. It's something from nothingness. When you compare the Torah to the source of Torah, the source of everything, which is the higher divine wisdom, which is unknown. But when the Torah comes down all the way to this world, Nizgashma, it assumes a physical incarnation. To the point that it's possible that a person shouldn't see and feel in Torah, the divine, infinite mind, the divine, infinite pleasure. He thinks he's learning laws, rituals, traditions that all deal with his just physical, technical, material issues. 
one could learn their whole life, and they just think they're learning a pilpul, it's a question, it's an answer, it's a refutation, I say this, you say this, you do this and this, or you do that in that situation. They don't necessarily see the colors, experience the taste, smell the aroma of absolute, pure, divine infinity that's being channeled, condensed, and being expressed in this halacha. So we have three states. We have the earth, which has in it everything. It has the capacity to produce everything. We have the seed that's deposited in the earth. We have the fruit. The earth, the kayach that's called the ayin. That's the source. It's no thingness. You can't see the vegetative power in earth. It's the mimer of the divine, tache, esh das, which gives this to the earth. That's a metaphor for the source of Torah, which is ayin, no thingness. It's God's wisdom, which is one with him. Then you have, then you have the seed. The seed is the way that vegetative power of earth ayin is expressed in the seed. And the seed at the surface, you don't see all the properties of the fruit. You don't see the richness. It has it all there hidden, but it's condensed. That's the way the Torah comes down all the way. And even though it's an absolute reflection of divine infinity, one may not see it or experience it. They may find it boring. They may find it intellectually stimulating. But to say that I'm learning and I see, I experience the divine infinity, not necessarily. In fact, a person could sometimes even learn and become arrogant from their learning. The learning itself can make them distant from spirituality. They don't get it. They get the technical stuff. They see it as a seed. They don't see the divine richness in it. And then you have the fruit. The fruit is the Torah and Ganeiden. Over there, it's Geshmak. What do we mean it's Geshmak? Not just intellectually Geshmak. They're experiencing the pleasure of the divine, the divine ecstasy in Torah. That's like the fruit. Comes the Alter Rebbe and says, And this is the meaning. Those who plant with tears will harvest with joy. Because when you're learning Torah here, you may not feel the divine pleasure. In fact, a lot of people, you know, they have told me, where is the spiritual pleasure? Some people have a Gemara cup, so they love the intellectual brilliance of it, right? Some people love the technical law, they like to know what to do, what not to do. It's all amazing. But where is their lakus? Where is their insight? So Hazoyim Bedima, there's an element of tears. But this produces the harvesting with joy. Because when you learn, the light of Torah, like the seed, is planted in the divine earth, in Mother Earth, which is the divine earth. Because this halacha is really the words of Hashem. And when you put it in the earth, it becomes one with the kayach hatzameich, with the vegetative power, which is Hashem's chachma. And this is what produces the reward of the mitzvah, which is the mitzvah itself. In Ganeidin, where tzadikim sit and enjoy the radiance of the divine presence, they bask and they bathe in the tainug, in the pleasure 
of the divine Shechina, they have pleasure by understanding godliness. That comprehension that they have in Ganeidim is like Yesh Me'ayin. It's something. From no thingness, it's a radiance, it's a glimmer, it's a ray that comes from the divine light, from the vegetative power of earth. This is literally the radiance of their It's like the vegetative power that through the seed it produces a fruit that reflects the seed. So what happens here is the Ganadin is produced by the Torah down here. The Gufei Halachas Gashmias and the very physical Halachas that we're learning. Hein Pchinas Halas Mayin Nukvin. Legabei Chachmasir Tzani is Baruch Hamalu Bashem Edvar Hashem Zu Halacha. They are like the triggers that arouse. They become one and they bring out the divine will and the divine wisdom, which is all in the seed in the Dvar Hashem Zu Halacha. So that can create Ganadin. What is the Alter Rebbe saying? Ganeidin is not something separate from this world. The Mishnah says in Prikayavas, Schar mitzvah mitzvah. The reward of the mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. That is the reward, meaning Ganeidin is simply the awareness of the world you created for yourself. That's why you could live in Ganeidin in this world. Ganeidin is simply the doors of perception are cleansed and you perceive the world you created. You perceive the world that you live in. When a Jew learns Torah, it's like taking the seed and planting it in the earth. The seed has within it embedded everything. It has in it the infinite divine wisdom and will. But when you look at the seed at the surface, you may not see it. It may look like very physical, technical Torah. But what's in it really? Divine infinity. More than in the fruit. The fruit you can't plant. Nothing is going to happen. The seed has everything. The etzim ha-toyre, the essence of toyre is the toyre that we have here. That's why where is halacha decided? Not in heaven, not in Gan Eden, only on earth. Because the DNA of toyre, the soul, the essence of toyre is in the seeds, it's only down here. The Gemara says about the Metziah, that there was a debate between Hashem and the Sifta Dirakia, the heavenly yeshiva, about the laws of leprosy. Who's going to reconcile and give the verdict? Hashem is arguing with the Sifta Dirakia. Metziah pedalet. And what happens? They find Rabbah Bar Nachmeni. They need somebody down here to give the halacha. Because the DNA of Torah is in the seed. Now when we plant this seed in the earth, we're soon going to see what that means. We align the physical Torah with the source of Torah, which is the earth, Dvar Hashem, the Eretz Al What happens? The tree grows. And you have beautiful fruits. The seed doesn't seem edible. The fruits are delicious. That's Ganadin. Ganeidin is where you enjoy Elokos, where they feel the full experience of what Peter is. It's still not the earth. It's still Yesh It's only a trickle. It's only a limited radiance that the souls in Ganeidin can absorb within their capacity. But how do they do it? From the seed that's planted in the earth. The seed is what produces and brings out from the earth. The pre, that's the radiance of the mitzvah, the radiance of the Torah, it's appreciation of what is in the Torah that you're learning. The fruit reveals what is in the seed that we're learning right here. Where in the seed itself, you may not perceive it fully. But there's one condition. And this is his last point. 
והנה כמוי שבזריע גשמס אין אצל מחס עד שיהיה רק הגרן ויהיה פוסט וישתנה ממוהוסה ויהיה נקלט בארץ ממש ויהיה לאחד הממש. With physical agriculture there's not going to be any growth until the seed is decomposed. And it gets transformed and metamorphosized from its essence till it can be really absorbed in the soil and it becomes one. If the seed remains on your windowsill, nothing is going to happen. The seed has to go into the earth and be covered by the earth and decomposed and completely metamorphosized until it loses its entire identity, becomes part of the earth. Now it can produce. I have to take the seed and deposit it into the earth till it becomes decomposed. What does this mean? This means that the Torah that I have here, I have to align it with the earth, with the source. And this is the concept where the person is vulnerable, where the person is open, where there's a dedication, a commitment, a bitl, a humility, a mysterious nefesh that I allow myself to surrender and to become absorbed in the divine, I give my spirit over to you, and then my Torah that I'm learning in this world becomes completely absorbed, completely one with the divine earth, with the divine infinity. This requires the surrender when I learn. If I hold on to my seed with the sense of separateness, with the sense of insecurity or arrogance. It's a seed. You don't get to see any of it. It's all there in potential, but it's just an emaciated seed. And this is where the Torah doesn't become what the Torah really is. I have to take my Torah and myself, and I plant this Torah. In other words, I learned the Torah when I planted in the divine earth. There's an element of Mesides Nefesh, an element of complete dedication, complete sincerity. To completely connect to the Shekhinah. And then, and then the vegetative power in the seed, the spirituality of the seed, becomes one with the spirituality of the earth. And the miracle of growth happens. The Ganadin happens. The spirituality in the seed, the Kayach HaElakus in the Torah, becomes aligned and bottled and one with the Elakus in the earth, which means the source of Chachma, Chachma Elah. And this creates the fruits, the schar mitzvah mitzvah, the yesh meyayin, the expression of gilu alakus, the divine pleasure, the way it's in Ganeidin. From this we have to understand, every percent of person has to understand how to learn. When you're learning, you have to be like the feminine waters that ascend that arouse the earth, don't make the tuffle, don't make the subservient primary. Don't make that which is secondary the most important. The hainu. Shalayasim kol magmosay alatoyrek moishayi belavushim agashmen belvat. Don't focus your whole 
attention, your whole ambition to the tide of the way it's physically dressed up only. Of course that's tayda. Tayda is dressed up in physical garments. But don't lose touch with what you're dealing with. Don't look at a seed and just say, oh, you're a seed. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'll put you on my windowsill. When you strip the tayda from its full infinity, you're stripping the seed from the genetic code that's inside of it. The Gemara says in Yevamas, Kuftes, if somebody says, I have nothing but Torah, I only have Torah, even Torah you don't have. So the commentators explain, you need Torah and Menschlichkeit, Torah and Gemilas Chasadim, Torah and kindness. Somebody says, I only have Torah, I don't have to be a mensch, I don't have to be giving, Even you don't even have Torah. The Alter Rebbe is a whole new vart. If somebody says, all I have is the Torah right here. There's nothing else to Torah. This is it. A gore, a bull is goring another bull. This is Torah. That's all there is. You don't even have this Torah. You're not getting the full depth of what Torah is. You have to be able to tune in to the inner infinity of godliness that is embedded in the seed. From the source and the root of Torah above. It's the divine intimate wisdom. When you're schmoozing, when you're steiging, you're talking about God's words. You're not just talking about technical, physical concepts, even if it's brilliant and interesting and sharpens your mind. It's dibure shalmakim. The handles me the ebesh verte. This is divine energy here. Ki Allah zu hidvar Hashem v'chachmas yiritzayinim ilabashem Because this halach is the word of God and His infinite wisdom and His will is being manif- is manifested in it. And then your learning is like the feminine waters. Now you took the seed, you put it into the earth, you deposited it in the earth, you aligned it with the earth. The Torah becomes completely aligned with the divine infinite wisdom. The earth and the seed morph into one and the very same entity. Now you can produce. This is how you have to learn. So of course, the Torah came into a physical incarnation. And that's the Etzim HaTorah. That's the seed that has everything in it. But understand what's laying in the seed. What's the potential of the seed? Seed got to go into the earth. Seed has to be aligned in the earth. And then you bring out in the seed what it really is as it connects to the essence of the earth, and together they can produce this tree. So you have the essence of Torah is the earth, that's the Torah in its source, Hashem's Chachma. You have the Torah the way it's in Gan Eden, where it's revealed as godly pleasure, an infinite ray of the source, it's a ray of infinity, the way it's manifested in Gan Eden, that's like the fruit, and down here the Torah is like the seed. The combination between the seed and the earth is what produces the tree with the delicious fruits, which is schar mitzvah mitzvah, the reward of the mitzvah is the mitzvah. So in every word of Torah, every Mishnah, every Suga and Gemara, Bavli, Rishalmi, Rambam, Tur, Shulchan Aruch, Rosh, Rif, Rishoyinim, Machroinim, Nigla, everything you're learning in Tanakh and Torah Shabbat, 
Every halacha is also a marshal. It's a lavush. It's an incarnation for divine, infinite wisdom. And that's why every single discussion, every single suga, you can trace it back. You can go deeper and deeper and dissect it and strip it from the outer garments until you will go deeper to Yitzirah, to Briya, to Atzillus, until you'll see there unadulterated, pure, divine wisdom and infinity. And that's why in so many Maimarim of the Balatanya, and generally in all of the works of Kabbalah, and in all of the works of Chassidus, and especially the Rebbe in our generation, this was his, this was one of his unique contributions. There was not a single halach, not in Rambam, not in Mishnah, no Rashi, no whatever sugi you're talking about. It could be Ksuvis or Nazir. It could be Menachas, Chulin or Kalim. It could be Zerayim, no, whatever sugi it is, to be able to show that within the physical seed, you have the DNA of the entire cos- you have the DNA of the entire tree. You have here embedded, embedded the profoundest wisdom that doesn't only touch on this physical, on this physical issue. It reflects philosophical truths, psychological truths, emotional truths, spiritual truths, and it's ultimately a channel of absolute divine infinity, the source of everything, the way it comes into this world. That's how you have to learn the Alter Rebbe says. All I have is this Torah, there's nothing else. We're just going to learn about the logical thing. I feel a Torah ain't like. You don't even have the real Torah. You stripped the seed, you kept the seed on the windowsill, put it in the earth. And then your Torah becomes aligned with the infinity of Torah. says, that's how a Jew learns. And that's the schar mitzvah mitzvah. That produces, that produces the fruits. That's how you plant. That's how you plant. Remember he spoke about four stages? Planting, grinding, kneading, and baking, right? He finished discussing the first stage, which is planting. Okay, questions. I said another 15 minutes. I see we went another half an hour. <laughs> yeah. Great question. You're saying we started off that Achoisi, we're connected, but we're still two separate siblings. Rayasi means God says, you're my shepherd. You shepherd me because you become completely one with me. But at the end, he's saying here that even Ganeidin is only a fruit, which is Yesh Meayin. It's Yesh. It's Yesh Meayin. Excellent, excellent question. Excellent question. So for that, we'll see the continuation, the continuation of the Mimer. Number one. Number two, let's remember that even at this point, the seed has more than the fruit. And that's the power of Torah here, even relative to Ganeidin. That's why I said, in Ganeidin, they can't create halacha. The Gemara says about Metziah Dafnuntes. There was an argument between Abiy Eliezer about the famous oven. You know the story, the oven of Achnoi. And a baskel came down, a baskel came down that the taloch is like Rabbi Eliezer. And Rabbi Yeshua stood up on his feet and he said, Loi bashamayim hi. Taita is not in heaven. You already said, Achri Rabbim lahatois. And here we paskin according to the majority. And they didn't listen to the heavenly voice. What's going on? The answer is, the heavenly voice is the Torah and Eden. That's like the fruits. Fruits are amazing. But the seed is where you have it. The seed is where you have the essence. The seed, the sperm, is where you have the procreative power. 
The seed is where you can create another life. In other words, it has the ability of the core to recreate a new life. It doesn't just have the outer glam, glam, the glamorous part of it. The Torah in Gan Eden has the radiance of the Shekhinah. The Torah here has the Etzem. That combination between the two is the ultimate combination where the Etzem can be revealed. Yeah. So for that, you have to learn the Ramban. The Ramban. You want to know what happens, how long it's for, Mashiach? The Ramban has a sefer called Shar Hagmul. You learn through the Ramban, Shar Hagmul. It's very easy. You can get it. And over there, the Ramban discusses this. Is the contrast, as you said earlier, that the intrinsic connection of a brother and sister Yeah, so that's the difference of a choisi rayasi. A choisi, there is a, a powerful connection, intrinsic, as he said, it's a knot. But it's still my brother and my sister. A brother, that we love each other. And rayasi is like the food. <laughs> you're not supposed to swallow up your sister. You're not supposed to swallow up your brother. But food, you're supposed to, let's hope you swallow it up, because that's what allows it to replenish, that's what allows it to replenish your energy. Next question. Let's try to stick to the topic of the shear, okay? Because we could discuss so many things, but I want to stick to the topic of the shear. The soil is the keli for the seed, and all attributes of the eventual product are contained in the DNA within the seed, but the earth contains the seed. Yet consider that expert winemakers know that not only is the exact seed that they use to create a vineyard crucial, but that the choice of location of soil is important. Ever notice that wine, experts say that their wine has notes of leather, notes of strawberry, etc. Where do these various foreign notes come from if not the seed? How can the same seed planted in different locations have different notes? Comes from the different types of soil in different locations. The ground contributes to the final product, just like the DNA within the seed, I think this can be helpful to understand. I'm an expert on botany. The process of botany started in the late 18th century when special journals began to appear. Even so, botany was greatly stimulated by the appearance of the first modern textbooks. Matthias Schleiden's, who lived from 1804 to 1881, uh, der. Wissenschaftlichen Botanik was published in English in 1849 as Principles of Scientific Botany. You could look it up in Wikipedia. Question. Let's say you're walking in the autumn and you're breathing the brisk, fresh air of autumn as your feet are wading through the leaves. You're kicking the leaves on the sidewalk. Isn't that fun? So you think, didn't Rabbi Miller say that I shouldn't waste the opportunity So you look around at the beautiful colors of the leaves and you're thinking that every leaf that falls from the tree is a miracle. Why did it fall? You think the leaf got tired and finally fell down. When a leaf falls from a tree, it's an absolute wonder of nature. Because obsession cells develop at the end of the stem where it's connected to the twig. And these cells do a most purposeful performance of cutting off the leaf from the twig 
when it falls. It's a marvel, a marvel of complicated precision. Someone must have designed that, don't you think? Someone with a capital S. And so you're thinking of Hashem already. Instead of just walking along the th- along and thinking about the weather and the news, you're doing something purposeful in this world. You're thinking about the Bayre Eilam. But don't stop there. Once you begin seeing Hashem in this world, don't let go. Hang on to it with ferocity. Pick up that leaf and admire it with your eyes. A leaf is an amazing, complicated piece of machinery. I say machinery. One leaf is a whole block of factories. It breathes in carbon dioxide. It breathes in moisture from the air. Sunshine too. It takes in sunlight. And then it takes all these things and it needs them together. And it makes all the materials that the tree needs out of that. Beautiful. I like. Next. Yes, I want to add to this. The leaf is making materials. The leaf is sending the juicy materials through tiny little channels to the stem of the leaf. And then it goes to the branch of the tree. And then it goes into the trunk. And it becomes wood. It becomes roots too. It becomes leaves again. And eventually it makes blossoms blossoms with nectar to attract the bees and the butterflies in order to pollinate the plants. And then fruit grows because without the pollen nothing is growing. And the bees and the butterflies come and they enjoy the nectar and in reward they pollinate them. That's the work of the leaf. Don't stop now. Keep looking with your eyes. You see that the leaf is very thin. It spreads out to cover as much space as possible. If you take all the leaves of one tree, it will cover an entire city block. Imagine a breathing space in contact with ear of a whole city block. One tree. And each leaf is doing tremendous work, taking in materials from the ear. That's why some leaves have irregular circumferences. They're not round and smooth. Why irregular? It's not random. Why is it in and out? Because the edge of the leaf has holes in it, where it breathes in and out. And when you have irregular shapes of the leaf, it means there is more opportunity for this function. Once you start studying one leaf, you'll see with your own eyes divine wisdom in this world. And when you do that... So by means of your eyes, all of these ideas go into your head. You become a new person. When you look at the actions of the Creator with the intention of seeing Him, the more and more you look, the more excited you become. Keep on looking for the next 50 years. 50 years, look at leaves. Don't get tired. You'll be shocked. Each time you look, you'll see more and more. And after a while, seeing a leaf becomes a symbol of seeing divine infinity in this world. It transforms your soul and your mind. You become a real Jew in all and reverence someone who lives with a constant awareness of truth and oneness and don't forget to rake up all the leaves beautiful beautiful you sound like Rabbi Avigda Miller all another question all creation needs food the food all creation needs is readily available for them without any planting or farming, without any sophisticated processing. Monkeys eat the bananas which grow. Animals eat the grass. and Some animals eat each other. No creatures farm. All creation needs food, but it's available for them. Only the person needs bread for some reason. We're not satisfied with only produce that grows readily without human intervention. Therefore, only a person has to go through all of these steps of plowing and planting. Beautiful. I'm thinking about food. These are the substances that keep on going, without which we would all expire. Hashem, it seems like, was hungry, so to speak, before creation before the idea of Jews learning his Torah and doing his mitzvahs. So to satisfy that hunger, he creates the world, the stage. He creates the Torah, the script, and the Jewish people, the stars of the play. When we take... 
This is what he does because it seems like he's hungry. So he creates the stage and then he creates the stars, the actors, and then he creates the script. It seems to me that the Jewish people are the ones who play on the stage and the Torah is the script. And the props is everything in the world. When we take the stage and perform our part in the play, especially faithfully according to the script, God has tremendous pleasure and it gives him sustenance to satisfy the hunger that existed before everything. How was it known in a natural secular way 3,300 years ago that Shemitah allowed nutrients to be returned to the soil? Great question. Farmers do know about composting. The soul is a chelika lekamimal. Where does it return after its sojourn down here on earth? If it doesn't go back to its source, it's part of God. Like a bolo bat that hits the ball to fly away, but it's still connected by a rubber band. After it reaches its furthest point away, it's pulled all the way back. Yeah, that's also beautiful. That's beautiful. And sometimes the further you pull, at some point, right now, you're going to be pulled back because you can't pull any further. Beautiful comments, beautiful comments. Thank you very much, Chavra. Beautiful. Everybody have a beautiful Shabbos. Let me just announce that Sunday morning, we have a 10 o'clock a.m. class. Uh, What is Mashiach? The View of the Rambam Part 2, that's Sunday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. right here on the yeshiva.net. Sunday at 1, we'll have Time at Vaira Part 3. Monday morning, 7.30, we'll continue this incredible mimer. Have a beautiful Shabbos, everybody. An amazing Shabbos, an inspiring Shabbos. May God bring comfort and healing to the Jewish people and complete redemption to our people, to the Holy Land, and to the world. You guys understood the Maimer, Reb Mendel Asfashtanen? Gewaldik. Reb Aaron is holding up a very colorful purple leaf that is so alluring, but it's poisonous. Oh, what is it, an iris? No. What leaf are you holding? It's an orchid. An orchid. Ah, Gewaldik. It's beautiful, it's beautiful, wow. I guess maybe the purpose of the poisonous tree, the poisonous plants or flowers is maybe to teach us that sometimes something could look beautiful on the outside, but it's poisonous on the inside. Number one. And number two, I think with each year we discover that sometimes these poisonous plants all serve some purpose to sustain life, to contribute to civilization, to contribute to the earth to contribute to life on our planet in some form or fashion. But there's a purpose in everything. The Medrash says, Adovod HaMelech asked Hashem, who needs spider webs? What's the point? I know the spider needs to eat, but what's the ultimate purpose? Either don't make spiders or let the spider eat in different ways. And then, of course, it was the spider web that saved his life when he was hiding in the cave. Hatzlache, good Shabbos, 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 
Hey, good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Beautiful. You're holding up the sprouts that you plant, that you grow in your own garden, no? What are those? Brussels sprouts? They're grown just with water. What are they? These are mom sprouts. Mom sprouts? No earth, just water. Just water. Good Shabbos. Chazak, chazak, v'niz chazak. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.